Hey everybody, thank you so much for checking out today's episode of Coming Up In My Sneakers. Today we have Leslie Hampton on, who is a fashion designer, and she's best known for diversity on the runway and including a whole bunch of other amazing things in her uh, line and her designs, um, and we're going to talk about that. So welcome, Leslie. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. It's my <laughs> pleasure. Um, so let's just jump right in. I, mm-hmm. I like actually, well, first I just want to say I'm so excited about everything that's happened for you recently and everyone on the podcast is going to hear about what that is. Um, but yes, let's jump right in and, uh, tell me where you were born. Oh, I was born in St. John's, Newfoundland. Oh, I <laughs> see. I love asking that because I had no idea. Yeah. How long do you live there for? Um, the first time I lived there for nine months and then I went all around Canada and then I went back for grade four to grade seven and then I started kind of my international adventure. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so you were, oh, sorry, you were born there nine months and then where'd you go after that? <laughs> and then I, uh, my family moved to Calgary. Okay. Um, and then up to Yellowknife Northwest Territories. Stop this right now. Yeah. I had no idea you lived up there. Yeah. How long did you live there for? Uh, two or three years. Holy yeah. shit. And it was like right during kindergarten to grade two time. I'm uh. so excited to be talking. I've never known, like, I know people that have, like, moved up there for six months and stuff, but, yeah. like, so did you, you've experienced, like, pure darkness for, It wasn't like, quite pure, okay. but it was, like, a few hours of sun, a few hours of, Holy yeah. shit. What was the coldest you you ever felt? Oh, gosh. I can't even remember, really, because I was, like, five years old. Yeah, I guess you're young. Um, but it just felt so normal to me, and then coming back to, like, a big city like Toronto, and saying that to it was people. like the tropics. Yeah. <laughs> but like just telling people that I lived up there and I'm like, oh yeah, of course. Like didn't everyone do that? And no. <laughs> They're like, no. I've never. So. That's crazy. Okay. So sorry. N- Newfoundland, Calgary, Yellowknife. And then back to Newfoundland. And then back to, okay. Um, and is this because your parents uh, yeah. work jobs? So okay. my dad's in mining. Oh, okay. Um, that so, sums it all up. Yeah. So we end up moving every two and a half years. Holy shit. <laughs> Pretty much. What, um, uh, what material? Um, any really? Um, we've done iron ore, gold, diamonds. Oh, okay. Okay, so we just north, yeah. So wherever he was needed. Yeah, was... he does the construction phase of big mining projects. Oh, okay. Um, so we we pretty much. Well, I say we he. Um, <laughs> you were uh, present as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we build the like do the whole construction phase of the mine, building it, okay. and then once it's like functioning, then move on to the next place. Okay, that so, makes sense. So he wasn't like physically mining. No, no, no. Okay. He was in the office, but also dealing like with dealing. community members and, and figuring out the relationships nice. with them and, and things like that. Nice. Yeah. So, okay, sorry. Uh, uh, Newfoundland, <laughs> Calgary, Yellowknife, back to Calgary? Back to Newfoundland. Oh, back to Newfoundland. Um, and then we're... <laughs> and this list is really long, by the way. I'm excited to hear um, it. And then my... Dad got a contract in uh, New Caledonia, which is an island like Fiji off the coast of Australia. Ooh. Um, but it's uh, part of French Polynesia. Okay. Um, so it's owned by France. Um, so it's all French speaking. Oh, um, shit. And being well, like an 11 year old, didn't my French was, my language is not very good. Did you have any French whatsoever? Uh, just like what was taught in the and, one and so subject like in Quebecois school. French too, probably. Right? Yeah, like, exactly, which is vastly different. Yeah. Um, so I ended up going to boarding school in Australia while they were there, um, and that was a really fun experience. Um, and was it English speaking there? Yeah, English okay. speaking in Australia. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Australia. Um, <laughs> well, 
I don't know, a number of words were very different. So I did pick up a little of an accent, oh. accent there. Um, so that was a fun time. Um, and that was grade eight to grade 10. Um, and then while I was there, my parents moved to Indonesia. So my like summer spot changed. Like when I would go on vacation, it just went from one spot to the other. Um, so you have literally, by age 11, you've essentially been in every like possible environment yeah imaginable from the coldest one of the coldest places on earth to probably one of like the most nicest tropical warmest yeah that's <laughs> crazy and like you're you're in new environments and like making new friends like you're probably an expert at this point of doing that because you'd moved a lot right yeah I yeah it's it's do you have siblings I have a brother he's five years older than me okay. um he did the Canadian traveling, but he didn't end up doing, um, he stayed in Canada while we did the international stuff just because he was finishing high school right. then. Um, so it just would have threw, throw his ac- academia out the window. Mm-hmm. So he stayed in Canada while we, we, while we traveled. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So then after Indonesia, um, then we all got up and went to London, England and that's where I finished my high school education. Oh my God. Um, so final tiers of high school. Um, and then figured out, well, then I didn't know where to go for university. So I came back to Canada cause that's where my parents were coming back to. Okay. So you started um, them. yeah. So I ended up going to the university of Toronto in Mississauga. Okay. So then I just jumped around the T- GTA. So Mississauga, Oakville and now Toronto. Nice. Yeah. So you are like the most certified person to literally be a Canadian fashion designer. Forget your international <laughs> travel, but like you've lived all over the country yeah. and then you've experienced so many other cultures. So like already I'm thinking like that had to have sort of influenced or or does it? Has it? like Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so one of the main points I like to tell everyone, um, especially in my bios, um, is that I'm a third culture kid. So that kind of means. So what does that mean? So I have kind of my my blood culture, who I am. So I'm I'm indigenous, um, and I have uh, Scottish Irish heritage as well. Oh. Um, and then I'm Canadian. So what my citizenship is is Canadian. Um, but then I have this other kind of weird third culture where oh, okay. I adapt to my surroundings and I can associate with Australian people. Right. I like no weird facts about Indonesia or England. Like, yeah. so, so that's kind of where the third culture kid term comes in. That's so cool. Yeah. And, and, and I think true for a lot of people too, especially in Toronto, because a lot of them are in that situation. They've like traveled a lot and like, or their parents are from two totally different places and now, now they're in Canada. Exactly. And... So they probably associate a lot with the third culture kid term as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Toronto in itself, I feel like is a third culture. Like, <laughs> exactly. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, okay. That is so cool. I knew you had traveled a lot, but I wasn't really sure in what capacity. Yeah. The list is, and is <laughs> like, yeah, a little bit. Um, so, but I want to ask you, so you did, okay, so you're, I know you're indigenous, so were you, did you ever, like, live on a reserve, or were you ever, like... I, I didn't, um, so my mom was adopted at birth, um... And your mom's indigenous? Yeah, so my mom's, my indigenous connection, um, and she was adopted at birth, so we didn't grow, she didn't grow up, uh, within the culture at all, but then she did still get, because Who was she adopted by? Like, what were, uh, what was their culture? Your grandparents? Uh, a, uh, white Canadian French French family. Yeah. Um, this was in Quebec at the time. Yeah. Um, so it was very weird for her growing up because she is a hundred percent indigenous. She looks indigenous, but then she grew up with, uh, in a white household and Mm. she had perfect English, perfect French, and she had all these other 
kind of racial stereotypes put onto her. Interesting. Being, one of the my favorite stories that she tells me is that um, her high school was was right by a reserve, um, so, and one of the the people telling them to get on the school bus, uh, she pushed she uh, was kind of directed towards the the school bus that, that was going off to the reserve by by one of the teachers, and she's like, no, this is my bus, like to this white white community, and they were like, no, that's weird. Like they mm. they couldn't associate that they didn't get it yeah or they didn't just trust that she knew where she was going exactly because maybe she's not yeah white passing yeah so oh my god uh, where was that um uh, it was near Kahnawake um in, in near Montreal okay yeah. okay so in okay so your mom would have spoken a little bit of French I guess then, yeah so right? my mom's like, my, uh, fluent, fluent? fluent in French oh. and English yeah oh perfect so yeah. when she moved to Indonesia or where was for it New, New Caledonia yeah yeah it was easier for her. it was definitely really easy but she <laughs> realized that Quebecois is but, not yeah it's it's totally different I agree yeah yeah it's very interesting how there's the French accents as well yeah, yeah. and like <laughs> dialects and exactly. everything like that um okay that's so cool and so and then your dad you said is scottish and irish yeah exactly okay that's so crazy because i always for some reason thought like hampton to me sounds indigenous like i don't know what oh really well i like okay okay correct me if i'm wrong and i think this might be like a question that a lot of people have or possibly Mm -hmm. a stereotype um like i i've because i do know some uh i do have some indigenous friends or they're Mm -hmm. like half um and their last names are very like like Hampton or like and I and at first you don't you I think we people expect to hear something like more different sounding but then Mm -hmm. at the same time like indigenous people were the first people here so they're like the true Canadian I don't know do you know where I'm kind of going with that like like Hampton also does sound Scottish and Irish too yeah but I don't know why I thought that that like do you know what your your mom's like birth um like actual um her last name was her uh Birth mother's last name is Fortin, like F O R T I N. Okay, yeah, which is kind of like it's kind of like French, I guess. Because yeah, so yeah. but it really just depends. Like it could have been a settler who was here a thousand years, or right? A hundred years ago, right? Um, that had that last name picked up. Interesting, because um, yeah. yeah, I don't know why I always like, um, and maybe a lot of other people do this too. Like I tend to like if I hear a last name, I can almost kind of tell what the culture is mm-hmm. based. And because they kind of have similarities, like mm-hmm. you can tell an Italian last name. Usually you can tell uh, an Irish last name. Usually. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So I, I've like, I guess I've always sort of looked, not looked like on purpose, but I've always wondered what that sort of like indigenous um, thing was mm-hmm. to indigenous last names. Cause I just, I think we just don't, like have enough people especially down in Toronto right like exactly. down here like we don't know and, and everyone like I mentioned to you everyone that I know that even has a little bit of it in them is like half or like mm-hmm. you know what I mean so I don't know do you know what they do you notice a similarity between indigenous last names um I wouldn't be able to put my finger on it but I guess it's just that the settler last names and indigenous heritage have been combined for the last right. over 150 years so that might be why it's like possibly yeah they've just become all in the same right yeah okay sorry that was like a little sidetracky but i was just curious i was like i don't know so okay well (laughs) so um you're home back in canada Mm -hmm. and um 
you said you went to University yeah. of Toronto. And did you, like, right away know what you wanted to go for? Or Oh, what? not at all. I applied to 13 universities. Holy shit. Coming out of high school. That's a lot of work. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, well, I went to a highly academic uh, high school, and I did the International Baccalaureate Diploma. Okay. Um, which is, it's just, like, college classes in high school, I guess. Oh, okay. Um, is an easy way to put it. Um, and I just, university was, was the thing that I was going to do. It was never questioned. It was never it was I, just I just, automatic. Yeah, it was automatic. It was never pressured onto me. It was just what I wanted to do. It was always mm-hmm. something there. Um, yeah, so I ended up applying to all these different universities, to all these different programs. And Oh, so I was, was going to ask you, so all different programs to each thing? Exactly. So, was it in the same sort of, like, world? or um, No, not at all. So within Canada, I ended up getting accepted to UBC for psychology, um, Guelph University for animal science. Oh, my God. Um, just because I had all these different interests that I wanted to to explore, I guess. Um, And I just couldn't choose. Mm -hmm. Um, So then by the time it came around to deciding, I I still couldn't choose. Um, So there there were a few fashion programs mixed into that as well. Um, But then, yeah, couldn't choose. So came back to the closest university that where my parents were living. Um, So at the time they were in Oakville. So University of Toronto, Mississauga made the most sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And that program happened to be um, art studio and art, art history. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. So you literally just like threw a whole bunch of darts at different walls <laughs> and was like, well, whatever sticks. Yeah. <laughs> and then I knew Univers- uh, U of T would have been a good one because I could have switched programs if I wanted to. If I Right. Yeah. So I, I did, uh, during university, I did end up taking, uh, God, psychology, physics, like all these other okay. non-art related progr- uh, classes uh, just to continue to explore and see what I could do and what I was most successful in and it did I always had an interest in art and I guess it just worked out that art was what I was most successful in during high school uh, during university oh nice yeah and was this like fine art traditional art like painting yeah like all of that right? so all the core fine art subjects so painting uh sculpting drawing photography oh um, cool. yeah so all all the main ones um and then I, I was just grab all my uh, sculpture classes, uh, sculpture assignments. I was always gravitating towards on body sculpture mm. and what that communication was between what you put on the body and what it said about the body. And what like sort of what do you think drew the, drew you to that? Um, I always had a slight, I, I want to yeah, I guess slight interest in fashion and and what that meant. And then I always I knew how to sew since I was four uh, because a family member taught me and. It was always something I was interested in, but I don't think I could ever, I never conceived, understood that you could do a career in it Mm -hmm. and what that would look like. Um, So it was just something I experimented with, but who knew what I was going to do after university, really? (laughs) Yeah, so you still had no idea. You were just like chugging away at your program. And was it a four-year program? Um, It was a four-year program, um, but because I did the International Baccalaureate Diploma in high school, um, as well as I did a lot of summer school and summer abroad programs well in, at university, I completed it in three years. Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of work, but it seems like you're you're well up for the challenge. Since... Yeah, I'm really eager with whatever I do. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So, okay, so then you graduated, I guess, and were yeah. you like, what the fuck do I do now? Or like... Yeah, so 
not so, uh, something that not many people know um, is that I then applied to a master's program at Ryerson for the master's of fashion. Okay. And how did that, like what, what snapped in you in that, during that time to like come over to fashion? Yeah. Um, so it, it was kind of during all those uh, sculptural fashion assignment, uh, sculptural art assignments um, at university that I kind of realized like, okay, let's see what fashion can do for me what we can do how i how i fit within the fashion industry interesting um, so and I, do you do you remember sorry do you remember um being able to like pin pinpoint like something that really grabbed you in your stomach that you're like oh my god okay i love this like i think i want to can you think back to something i don't think so it was really just creating our artwork that could be worn on the body and and what that relationship was okay and, and meant yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. So explored the the uh, masters of fashion. I think it was a lot more academic than I wanted it to be um, because at the time I was all doing a bunch of hands on work um, as opposed to more reports and assignments and things like that. Um, so I did the masters of fashion. Realized it wasn't for me and. Uh, I think it was mid-October, so I must have only been a month and a bit into it. Not that it was, like, it was an incredible program, I just, my heart wasn't there. I mm-hmm. wanted to be making fashion instead of studying it. Yeah, that's or a stu- re- studying the, the, the writings of fashion, I guess. Yeah. You know what? I, that's, like, a little bit of a beef that I have with a lot of fashion programs. Not that that stuff's not important, but mm-hmm. I feel like it can be, like, one short course of mm-hmm. that. And then, like, let's make fashion. Because I've never really met anybody that has chosen to go to school or take classes mm-hmm. in fashion who hasn't wanted to, like, physically be involved with fashion. Exactly. And so it's, like, always, like, why are those program programs offered when yeah. it seems like everyone in them wants to actually be making it and not studying? Like, like yeah. what you just said. But a, a lot of my classmates in that program were, were very interested in the study of oh, fashion oh so there it are was people out there. <laughs> yeah and were very like ready to to just become a professor of fashion right, or okay. or get a phd in fashion which is to That's me sounds thing? sounds the cool like the coolest thing what? but like it's fashion studies it's right. not fashion design right so i really wanted to learn all about the fashion design and Growing up with such an academic route, I that's just where I went into. And then a month and a half in, I was like, no, I I want to learn how to sew and perfect my skill yeah. of what my hands can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so then dropped out of that program, which was kind of very hard for me because I don't like dropping out of things. I like to just follow them through to the end or right. rush through it somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of hard. And then, and then I applied to George Brown. Um, and got in for their January start. So that was all within kind of six months oh, nice. of graduating. Uh, and the, sorry, it was the George Brown Fashion Yeah, program, George right? Brown uh, Fashion Techniques and Design Program. Okay, and that's a college too. So I'm sure it was like pure hands-on. Exactly. Okay, exactly. good. Yeah. Nice. So a few, so I think there was one um, one or two academic, not academic, but But like, yeah, like paper the history writing. of fashion yeah, exactly. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, but it was majority hands-on and nice. learning how to create it. Yeah. So is that where you learn to like sew and pattern make, pattern make? Like, can you do all of that stuff? You can obviously, right? Yeah. Um, sewing. I I knew how to sew, not very well uh, beforehand. Oh, you said right yeah. Before, when you were a kid. Um, yeah, my great aunt ended up teaching me how to use a sewing machine when I was four, and and then I would do like after school sewing classes and things like that. Nice. Um, but then yeah, George Brown kind of really 
I had no idea what pattern drafting was um, or it's pr- it's fucking technical. It's science. Yeah, <laughs> it literally it, like I didn't know either, and science I like, and mathematics took yeah. a crack at it for four minutes. I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, so I found a new appreciation in that. Um, learned how to like refine my my sewing skills, um, but again, was way too eager. Um, and at the time, I was making kind of wearable art capsule collections they were like six pieces that's awesome from my wearable art time um at u of t uh because i because all my pieces were on body um i ended up like doing small shows like club shows oh that's awesome Um, though where did you where did you show uh there's a group called raw natural born artists um that does a few shows at the mod club okay um so like very very small shows or i guess big shows but small collections for me right right um, and definitely not cohesive, definitely not, like, with a storyline or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, just, like, random things um, that you like. Yeah, exactly. Just random things that I put together. Like, one thing could have been felt and the other thing could have been material or <laughs> just not cohesive. Nice. Um, I think there's still a time and a place for a show like that, though. Absolutely. Because it's, like, really cool, the randomness. is just, absolutely. like, oh, this. Like, and then- incredible to attend and, and a great exploration into the, the world of showcasing work and, and what that could be mean to the audience mm-hmm. um, and how they could perceive that um, yeah so then very eager going <laughs> um, while starting uh, George Brown so then I applied to Fashion Art Toronto okay I yeah. want to know about this because I've I've I spoke I've spoke I've actually like I don't think I've ever really been to a show of theirs but like mm-hmm. I know some of the organizers or the people that run it and I've spoken to a thousand like everyone in the industry has had some sort of connection with them yeah. or like interaction with them but like is it a school is it a, like I feel like they're everything are they right um, <laughs> fashion art Toronto is kind of a crossover between fashion and art and they put on a week-long uh runway sh- uh per- week-long event of, of runway shows. Um, they also have, like, artist installations um, okay. and and photography work. Um, so you applied to exhibit? Yeah, so I applied okay. to exhibit before... I applied to exhibit with my quote-unquote wearable art cl- capsule collections. Um, and they came back to me um, in the first week or two of George Brown, and they were like, this is great, you're, you're really creative, but it's not cohesive enough to showcase on like a fashion mm-hmm. runway platform. Do you mind resubmitting, and we can consider it for this upcoming showcase, like submit sketches of, like, can you reimagine your collection? Oh. Um, so, and can I quickly yeah. ask you, like, how do you feel when people uh, say that to you? Because I, I'm always curious how much... Is it of like, okay, but you know, I am the artist, I'm the designer, like this is what I want to do. So like, just let me do it. And how much of it is like, okay, they're still running like a show at the end of the day and they're looking for specific things. Like, do you ever find yourself conflicted between those two things? Um, Or did you at that, in this particular time? At this time, definitely not. Um, I found every comment that was directed towards my art was, was very just uplifting and, and teaching me the ways of the fashion industry and, and the, the color concepts and, and things like that that had to be cohesive to put on a successful showcase. Because um, obviously in art school, they wouldn't teach you how to put on a runway show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really kind of took in all the aspects of of what um, Vanya, who's the head of, uh, a head of Fashion Art Toronto, was telling me. Um, and 
yeah, and, and, and I took a week and I, I reimagined what the collection was, similar shapes and things like that, but really more refined on the colors. Oh, nice. Um, so you did, like, alter some of your pieces? Yeah. Or did so you make I, from, from scratch? Uh, this was just, uh, it was reimagined more sketching. Okay. Um, to, to reimagine my ideas. Um, and I submitted that to her and she was like, yes, for sure. We'll love, we will love this showcase, Amazing. this collection. And what type of like stuff was it? Do you remember sort of? Um, so it was all what I would say still wearable art. Um, I used this, uh, mylar, um, it was pretty much like foil, I guess. Oh, cool. Um, and these little pieces to make a uh, silver and black collection. Ooh. Um, and it was kind of my reinterpretation of the Native American jingle dress, but then okay. in these highly uh, wear uh, in this more kind of fashion realm. So it was supposed to be, what would that jingle dress look like on kind of a modern day city warrior? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And that's kind of what what I tried to put out there. Nice. Um, so at the time as well was kind of learning because this was three or four years from moving back to Canada, relearning what it meant to be Indigenous within Canada. Yes. Um, and that's kind of why I think I chose that Indigenous aspect to that first collection. Was that something that you kind of always felt your whole life? Or did you did you feel more sort of like wanting to explore that part of you when you came back and you were older? Um, it was definitely something older now that I want to understand um it was never something i i was always who i was but then it was what other people put on to me mm. that was what was confusing um so when i was living in in the northwest territories um and i was kinder in kindergarten at the time um they have they had a had an event called the uh, aboriginal people's day or aboriginal day um and one of my blonde hair blue-eyed friends was like hey this day is for you and I'm like no it's not like <laughs> like I'm just celebrating like everyone else here mm-hmm. and she's like no no you're aboriginal this day is for you so you didn't even realize that, that and I didn't realize that I was any different from from my best friend ah so did you like did you go home and then just ask your parents like am I ever oh my god pretty much and That's I was amazing. like what did she mean by that like what is what is that what because I didn't grow up with it. I didn't right. grow up with any of those teachings or anything like that. So your mom was never, like, was she just more kind of chill with it? or Yeah, so she did she not, like, kind of, I guess, like, talk well, about she, it? Or I guess she, she wasn't raised yeah, she by didn't that raise either. Yeah. yeah, sorry, I forgot about Yeah, that. she wasn't raised in the culture that's either. That's a very so unique it, situation, especially, like, that's, like, two unique situations in one, yeah. almost. That's really cool because it's, like like you know hopefully like as a culture and society especially in Toronto we're trying to like embrace that and Mm -hmm. then you have that in you but then you also are kind of exploring it on your own terms because and maybe your mom is too who knows because she wasn't raised like that's so interesting yeah and especially when she was kind of growing up and through her adolescence that was all around the time of the 60s scoop right so declaring that she was indigenous might have not been the safest thing for her right right so she then might have had to go through all these things and then might not have wanted me to know I was ab- as Aboriginal as everyone else or something yes. around that uh, conflict of indigeneity. So who knows? That's interesting, too, how that little girl was able to pick that out at that age. Right? Like, I went to school in um, – when I was that age that you just spoke about, I was living in Unionville, I guess, where every single person was Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, and even at that time, it was hard for me to like – like, I knew it was different, but – 
not you don't know that much exactly. like you're so young that like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe like our faces look a little bit different and like you speak another language, but that was, or I don't know, like, exactly. do you know what I mean? But so it doesn't make us different people. Yeah. yeah. And especially so like, so it's interesting that she was able to pick that out. So yeah. Like, so I'm, I'm curious if it was maybe something that like her mom said that she picked up about yeah. indigenous people or about like how my mom looked. Yeah. Like, who oh, knows? maybe, maybe your mom. Um, yeah. But that was kind of the first memory that I had of being like, what, is, what does that mean? Interesting. Like, that I'm not the same as this blonde blue-eyed and did you feel did you feel like upset about that or did you not care or like did you were you excited or confused i because i think canada puts such a an emphasis on oh you're indigenous so you have to be this 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 this. um and i didn't really fit into any of those aspects um not that i knew many of them when i was five but Mm -hmm. but uh kind of growing up and realizing what this box is that I should fit into and then but I don't so does that deplete my indigeneity or does it just show that I'm a regular modern day city dweller indigenous person yeah and again what does that look like and what exactly so interesting Mm -hmm. I think we're probably the generation well and like I say we as in like our age group of people who are indigenous I think that's probably theirs to like yours to kind of define exactly like because we've never been here like it's and there's a lot of indigenous people doing that and saying look i can be miss universe like ashley calling bull yeah and still be indigenous and be with my community and things like that but still win an international beauty and be the the top beauty icon yeah um even like aspects like that people are studying academia and and becoming there's indigenous doctors and, and lawyers and people like that and a lot of people don't think twice about the fact that indigenous people can be more than all these stereotypes. Right. Very interesting. Um, so sorry, I wanted to go back to, um, oh yeah, you're at, uh, fashion art Toronto. Oh yeah. And then, um, and then, uh, so did you finish your program? At, I guess at George Brown. And at this point, were you like, okay, I'm definitely gonna be a fashion designer. Oh gosh, no, it started way before <laughs> that. <laughs> um, so while I was putting the collection together for fashion art Toronto, their showcase was in April, I believe. Um, I have absolutely no idea, but I got an email from Vancouver Fashion Week. Oh. And they said, hey, we want to invite you to our showcase. How and the I, hell did they find you? That's okay. Yeah, I have no idea. That's awesome. Um, and their showcase was in March. So before what Fashion Art Toronto was going to be. Um, so I was... Oh, so they hadn't even seen your Fashion Art. It's not like they maybe picked it no, up from they there. No, they didn't find oh me God. from Fashion Art Toronto. They, like, I don't know... Because is this pre-Instagram days or or maybe like maybe like right at the beginning of Instagram days? Okay. So maybe they saw like my wearable art. Maybe I hashtagged fashion and they found me and emailed me and back when it was like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Back when that was like, <laughs> like you could there was like two fashion hashtags. Yeah, not like two billion. Exactly. So like maybe that's how. I have no idea. Maybe they saw a piece that I did in university and shot in the dark and who knows? Who know- yeah. <laughs> um, Let us know if you guys are listening. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Yeah, I never end up asking them, but uh, that's cool. yeah. So, so that showcase was in March, um, and again, being very eager, already having the collection together because I was showing it a month later at Fashion Art Toronto. I brought it out west. Um, nice, and we did the uh, the Vancouver Fashion Week showcase, um, and their connections were were really good. That that first collection. I guess it was a relationship they had with one of the photographers. Uh, but that collection ended up getting featured in Vogue. What? Yeah. 
I did not know this. Yeah, so if you go on the British Vogue uh, website and type in my name, you'll find that first collection. That's amazing. Okay, how... Okay, so you're obviously (laughs) destined to do this, because how... What are the fucking chances that... It's literally your first collection ever. And is this a capsule collection still? Because it was wasn't it the one? 13 looks. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it was, st- no, it was like sort of, a, I guess, what's, what, when um, does it become, when is it a capsule and when is it a regular collection? What number? Oh, it, it depends. Um, like so like, that was for sure, like a, sh- a collection. Oh, okay. Uh, but like now to me, a capsule collection would be like 13 pieces. Right. Yeah. Okay, you're because a I show like maybe 20 pieces or, or 25 pieces on a, on the runway. Right. Um, so yeah, definitely at the time. Couldn't conceive doing any more pieces. Yeah, that's a lot for, like, a beginner, and yeah. that's amazing. Oh, my God. So they, um, so you're, so that's obviously so exciting for you. Yeah. And then what happened after that? Um, so then came back to Toronto and showed uh, Fashion Art Toronto, and that was incredible. Again, this is all my first semester of, of George Brown. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> and then well, I think I was just hooked on showcasing and, and, putting a collection together and, and figuring out what that could say to an audience who's watching, whether it be the audience in person or the audience in video or anyone who's seeing the photos of it afterwards. Um, so, oh gosh. And then it just turned in, I, I think, like, well-finishing um, George Brown, which, again, was only a year and a half because I fast-tracked. Um, I would showcase at... Vancouver Fashion Week, I do believe, two more times. Um, And then I had my eyes on uh, Toronto Women's Fashion Week. Right, when it was still, like... Yeah, when it was uh, in association with Tom. Yes, and it was, like, separate or whatever. Exactly. Wow, and when was your first Toronto Fashion Week? What year? The main Toronto? (laughs) (laughs) The, uh... The when, when, when was the first time that, yes, or like I guess Toronto Women's at the time it would have been, like, or when, when was the first, like, official Toronto Fashion Week that you showed at? Do you remember? Uh, it would have been fall, winter, 17. Okay. Season. Um, so, yeah, 2017 sometime. Which is our, which is now three years ago, which is yeah. insanity. Yeah. Um, I think I went to that show actually, to be honest. With oh you. yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, that's how I first like heard of your name because I I had gone to a bunch that year that I like I knew like maybe one or two and then I was like oh I'll just go to these two. Yeah. I love going to like that was me with Tom being yeah. like oh I'm, I'm interested in fashion let's see who we could meet. And yeah. Go and from there. see exactly like see what's out there. That's the best way. Yeah. Um okay, and then so when was like Leslie Hampton born? When was when were, were you sort of like officially a company and Um like- I consider myself like founded as a company um when I showed that first collection in Vancouver. Uh in Vancouver and then at Fashion Art Toronto around that time just because I didn't I I wasn't showcasing myself as a singular artist i was i was showcasing my vision as a brand i guess right um again the both those showcases uh featured body diversity and skin and from from, from the get from from yeah from the get-go um and it was never something i i thought twice about you were like, just like duh yeah obviously. like yes they were teaching us how to do um maybe only size four size six uh samples at school but my body was not that so i could just design on myself if I wanted a larger size right 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 yeah Yeah, I guess that's probably so easy you you, like if you can measure somebody else you can obviously just do it on yourself yeah it's difficult because there's so many um design technical points that should be followed when you're when you're pattern drafting um and that's usually not adopted as well in 
uh, adopted as it's not taught to you on how to adopt that into a plus size body. Hmm. Um, and that is something what, what that fashion school is lacking is how to, hey, the plus size proportions of, of this body type of like a, a square body type versus a hourglass body type are completely different. How do you accommodate and draft for those? Yeah. It's not taught to you. Yeah, which is so challenging, especially like in today's market, because I would almost like I I even almost don't even like the like term plus size because I feel mm-hmm. like that's majority of like people say oh the plus size market is the fastest growing market. I don't really think it is. I think it's always been out there. Yeah, it's, it's just always... now people are like people finally are... making clothes for them for Doing you know for extended that. collections. Or yeah, extended so, sizes. Yeah, um, yeah. I think hopefully soon they will be changing that because it's just the market. Like mm-hmm. they don't have a choice almost. You know exactly. And then you guys have to figure it out for yourself, which yeah. I'm sure is probably difficult. Yeah. So one of my uh, I guess turning points, I would say, um, would be my, the show that I did right before uh, I graduated from George Brown. And again, it was a Vancouver Fashion Week showcase. Um, and it was my Fall Winter 17 collection as well, um, entitled The Golden Hour. And The Golden Hour, um, yes, it's the beautiful skyline uh, that hour right before or after sunset. Mm. Um, but it's also that strict hour after a tragedy has happened. Um, and it's the oh. hour that determines whether or not someone who's gone through that tragedy will live or die. So, so okay, a, divulge this for me. It's a medical term, pretty much. Oh, it's a medical term. Yeah. So, like, you're saying if somebody gets, like, shot and rushed to the hospital, they exactly. like, oh, my you, God. That first hour is called the golden hour. And that will... Like, where is this going to yeah, go? What's where, happening exactly. here? Exactly. That um, is so cool. I did not, and I know you're so good with that. Like your your collections always have a story, but I love knowing that you've done that from like show number one. Yeah. And so, why did you want to explore that? Yeah. So, um, that collection was was inspired around that aspect, and also at the time, I, I do these deep internet searches, and I get kind of obsessed with people that I find on the internet. Um, and then I try to invite them into my runway shows. Oh. So for Fashion Art Toronto, I had met a um, two-time cancer survivor, and I invited her into my Fashion Art Toronto showcase. Wow. Um, and then I kind of ended up doing the same thing, I would say, with this uh, Vancouver Fashion Week showcase. Um, and I ended up getting an email back from a woman named Adrienne Haslett. Um, and she, in, she was at the finish line of the Boston bombings. Oh my God. And didn't you have her just this past fashion week too? Yeah. So I I ended up becoming friends with her, um, and had her in a few showcases, but that was that first show. Um, and her story and the Boston strong worked so well with the concept that I, that I was trying to put across and, and how great the Boston community was in, in, during that golden hour. So sorry, you just did you uh, you just like randomly reached out to her? Like, how did you come across her again? Yeah, so I found her in a press story. Um, okay, she was a ballroom dancer. Um, oh wow! So she did a ballroom dancing, and it got picked up by by a press story. I went to her website and I shot her an email, and I was expecting nothing because because when does that work? Yeah, yeah, one <laughs> um, in a thousand though. For, yeah, like probably right. And I was pretty much like, I'm a student designer. I don't really have any budget for you to fly you. I don't know where you are in the world yeah. to fly you anywhere, but I'm doing the showcase at Vancouver Fashion Week, and this is the concept. And I think if you were to open or close the show, that would be just so powerful as, yeah. as a team. Yeah. Um, so she replied. She said yes. Um, wow. She flew in the day before the show. 
Um, and at the time I had like very minimal PR and things like that. Um, but once, once the news kind of took the herd of what we were doing, it kind of just took off from there. And that was one of my first kind of viral quote unquote moments. Wow. Um, so we ended up getting CBC, CTV, uh, all these major Canadian outlets, but then we also got, because she's American, because it was about the Boston bombings, um, it was about, uh, we, we got featured in USA Today and Fox News and oh crazy God. avenues like that. Um, so it was just a really exciting time to, again, push, one, for diversity on the runway yes. and having, she became an amputee um, because of the Boston bombings. So to have an amputee who kind of took, re- took control of, of her body and, and what the doctors could tell her that she could and couldn't do and put her in, an, in a beautiful dress down the runway, like, a huge step for diversity. Huge. Um, yeah. And, yeah, she. you said, she, so she has, like, from, like, is it completely, like, I don't know what the correct term is. It's, I don't want to say, like, a fake leg. Yeah, like, so. Is that what it is? So a full prosthetic from the knee oh, down. Okay, knee down. Um, as well as she has a, a scar, um, I do believe, from from the lid of the pot that they put the bomb into or they Holy made the pot shit. the bomb in um so yeah so just that whole whole time was very kind of moving and i made a best friend from it wow um but was able to just push for diversity and push and kind of have that make that next step to this diversity in fashion idea that I had yeah and I I want to ask you so much about that like is that was that just like a random idea or because obviously now it's quite a talked Mm -hmm. about concept and this was only three years ago or or possibly four if it was Vancouver Mm -hmm. um but even even as early as four years ago it still wasn't really like people were still afraid to sort of push that boundary but were you always sort of like duh I'm gonna do this or like do you remember if there was something inside of you that was like I really want to do this or like do you know what I mean or was it just like a natural extension of sort of like who you are to include everybody I think it was just from the get-go and it's something I wanted to do um I often relate back to my time um my time internationally and being the only Canadian in an outback Australian school I felt very kind of segregated uh, with the way I spoke or the way I behaved. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then going from that kind of major segregation, major like odd person out to an international school in England where everybody was the odd person out. Everybody had that third culture kid background. Oh. Um, and you felt included because everybody was different. Right. So I think that's kind of the basis of why I brought that into the fashion uh, world that I wanted to create for myself was why can't like fashion is so you're, you're one body type or yeah. you're nothing at all um, so to bring all these different people onto the onto the runway and have everyone feel special and everyone in the audience associate themselves with at least one of those people on the runway that's amazing and it seems like 
you know, especially as an audience member, it seems like, you know, people will say like, oh, it's like a tactic, a PR thing and this. It's so complicated. Mm-hmm. But like for you, like, and especially now that I know your stories, yeah. like just, just the most genuine. I didn't know what PR was yeah, when I started. Yeah, you're like, sure. Like, why not? You know, why yeah. not? That's really amazing. I think that's why people have gravitated towards you and your brand too, is because you are just like so authentic and mm-hmm. like, you know, why not? Like, you know. <laughs> why not do why this? Why not? Um, that's so amazing. I did not know that about the mm-hmm. Boston um, bombing uh, victim either, or survivor, mm-hmm. I guess I should yeah. call her. Um, okay, so then after that, uh, how did you get involved with, like, TFI and stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so then I, I graduated. Which is Toronto, Toronto Fashion, Fashion Incubator. Incubator. <laughs> I should not use acronyms for people that don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I, I graduated George Brown, um, and at that time I was making the collections out of a a room in my parents apartment um like very small and if I wanted to expand and actually become a brand I would need space to be able to bring people on bring a sewer on bring a pattern drafter on and there's no way like I brought some of my friends to my home studio and we were like draping material in the hallway of the apartment trying to cut (laughs) it out and then by the time we were done there was just sequins everywhere and I'm like this isn't gonna work um and Toronto Fashion Incubator has been, ever since I came to Toronto in 2012 when I landed back here, um, it's always been something that I've been aware of. Uh, I'm not sure how I figured out that initial um, discovery of it, but it's always it was always somewhere I, I wanted to be associated with in, in some way. Um, and I, after George Brown... Um, they were putting a Fashion Your Future summer program on, which was just a month intensive of different lectures and things like that um, to kind of teach you about the fashion industry and how to get in. Um, and they, during that time, had mentioned that they have an opening for their for a residency studio. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think from when I received that email about the opening... I think it was like an hour or two later, I had my application in, um, and I just fingers crossed, toes crossed, to see if I could get in there. Um, Amazing. And you've been there since. And I've been there since. So that was, I signed my contract at the end of December 2017? Yeah. Right after graduation. Yeah. Nice. Um, And then that's kind of, if I could retell my story I would want that to be the time that I like founded my brand yeah like when you're because that's when I was full-time focusing on actual sales and not just shows yeah um and so what was that like because do they prepare prepare you for making sales and stuff in school or is it all like um they teach you how to how to price a piece and things like that but they don't really unless you're part of a particular class they don't really teach you how to how to put your brand out there or how to do a runway show or how to present your work, how to do a lookbook shoot, anything like that. It's not really in such a, such a uh, technical, technically designed focused uh, program. I don't think that was taught as much. Um, yeah. So I was <laughs> sales. I'm still, I, th- I think I finally worked it out this year nice or this past year but uh yeah at that time I was just trying to get as many custom orders as I could I was gonna ask yeah so did you start you started with custom yeah um so that's pretty much how I make majority of my sales now um is people hear of my my show or my hear of my brand through my shows uh through PR and things like that um or even through just networking and and then it goes from there and I am able to make 
a custom one-of-a-kind piece for each individual that comes into the studio. Nice. Yeah. And then do you do any, like, wholesaling at all to, like, Hudson's Bay or any of those, like, Um, No major outlets yet. Um, It's definitely something that I have that's to to be looked at in the future and and part of the that that strategy um but i've been i i love focusing on what i can say with fashion um and yeah. i really i want that to be my focus now and and that story and also discovering who i am through fashion is, is really a really exciting thing for me um that if i am going to get a big contract like that it can it can wait till yeah. i know what i want yeah. Nice. So uh, that's something I do want to definitely talk to you about too, because I know you have like such strong brand values mm-hmm. and like, so tell me, okay, so this is like a, a double question, which I hate asking, but I'm going to forget and I don't want to. So <laughs> I know that Leslie Hampton as a whole has like, um, some main sort of like focuses and mm-hmm. associations, but then also your individual collections as they're released also have a story. You're so good at doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so visible. Like you could be somebody walking by like some models wearing your stuff and like you still kind of get that there's like some sort of story behind it. Like you're right. really like that. I think that's one of your like top skills. Um, so, okay, I'm going to put all the information out. You answer how you want. Okay. Um, Leslie Hampton as a whole, uh, like, what? how did you decide what you're going to be involved with? And then w- why each collection um, with a story and wh- where do you get the story from? How does it come? Blah, 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 blah. That, that was a horrible way right, to no, I think I get it. <laughs> I'm like, there's so much information I don't want to forget. Yeah. Um, so... I would say each collection is based around something that's happened to me in the last six months. Oh. Um, so that, going back to even the first collection, um, inspired around the Native American jingle dress, that was pretty much my time in figuring out how I wanted to present myself. And yes, I am Indigenous, so maybe I'll start with an Indigenous-focused collection and just discover what that means. And especially at the time, um, 2017, Um, the inquiry was still happening for the missing and murdered indigenous women. And I wanted to understand how that was associated with me and, and what possible outlets could be through fashion for that, that inquiry and possibly for that healing. Um, so that's kind of where I started. Um, and then I've done collections around mental health awareness. Um, and that's possibly something personally I need to explore more but need to but I I wanted to I have friends who who suffer from mental health and and it is something that has affected my life whether it's personally or through the people that surround me um so I I wanted that to I wanted to break down the stigmas around mental health specifically in the fashion industry and say hey if you're a model and you have depression that doesn't mean that you're any less castable than another model who might not because is that like something within models that they're afraid to i mean i guess really not everybody is walking around being like hey i've got depression but like do you were you finding that um that was a a good that was a good learning experience because i did reach out to a few agencies and they wouldn't declare whether or not because I, I reached out to agencies and I said, hey, I'm, I'm casting a show based around mental health awareness. I'm looking for models who could be mental health advocates who have suffered from or know, know someone who, have, who has suffered from or overcome mental health. And they were like, sorry, we can't put those names to you. 
yeah, um, yeah. as a response. Um, whereas then some agencies were like, yes, let me ask my, my, my team who's comfortable putting that out there. And I casted a whole show of all mental health advocates, all people who, who had a relationship with mental health um, and who were all super strong on the runway and were successful. So. And did you do you ever cast like just regular models? <laughs> I have to, like I'm not, I'm what not, is regular? I know actually that's a, I shouldn't have said that. I just mean no, I like get, I get caught in that all the time. I, no, I'm genuinely yeah. curious. Like you said, you reached out to agencies, but like yeah, I feel like you're always after like real people, which is great. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I hate using the word real word real people, but like you know people like you know that aren't models, yeah. like signed models. Um, but yeah, do you, do you ever, or do you just prefer, um, going the route of like the theme of your show? Um, so majority of my shows and now my shows moving forward, um, are all about, about 50% agency cast, 50% street casted. Okay. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, because I want that full diversity and, and sometimes it's not there or it's, it's just a skin like it, it, I might be casting a certain skin color or something like that where they are signed. Mm-hmm. Um, plus it's a, it is a great way to, to start to, because agencies have so much connection right, um, right. to start with them and, and figure out where they're at um, in, in terms of diversity. Um, and then associating myself with certain agencies that, that are more towards what I believe in as well. Nice. Um, so BNM is actually a, a, an agency that I be in a model management um, is an agency that I I work with a lot um, because they do have uh, a wide range of models and body types and skin colors um, okay, nice. and it was actually really exciting because through fashion or through fashion design I was actually able to be also signed as a model to be in a model oh, management oh my god no way yeah so I've been with them for about a year um, that's done awesome. a, done a few few projects um and that's just been really exciting not because i have a dream of being a supermodel but i have a dream of just showcasing how i am as an indigenous curvy body type yeah on these model boards yeah and there are other women that uh, guaranteed look like you that are looking for that as well exactly. right so yeah. that's good that's awesome so if i could <laughs> if visually if I could be an inspiration that's that's really cool too yeah Yeah. absolutely okay so you've done um golden hour mental health or is mental health just the I thought I thought the mental health section of your brand was like an all the time thing or was that like show collection specific as well um it was collection specific to begin with um because that particular collection entitled lithium um was highly mental health focused and then I realized that well, a body positive collection is mental health focused as well mm-hmm. because that is uh, that does affect your mental health. Um, so it just became kind of a statement, uh, a staple in in the brand from the from that show. Okay. Um, so yeah, you've done the Golden Hour. Mm-hmm. You've done um, the marijuana. Um, oh, yeah. Like, tell me about that. Oh yeah. So or tell um, us. I have a. Uh, diffusion line called Robust by Leslie Hampton. Robust, that's the um, And for the beginning of 2020, we launched a cannabis-inspired collection. Well, it was in a collection inspired around mental health awareness and body positivity through the lens of um, athleisure wear and festival wear. 
Um, and at the time, I wanted I, at the time of when I wanted to release it, it was around 420 and the legalization of marijuana in Canada. Um, and it's weird because I don't smoke or use um, cannabis products, but I wanted because I was so so interested in breaking down stigmas um, around mental mental health. I wanted to break down that stigma around cannabis use and CBD use for uh, mental health purposes. Yes. Um, so that's kind of what that cl- that whole collection was about was just to put it put a cannabis print on a T-shirt, but in a more kind of fashionable way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you did a great job. And then just continue that conversation and, and see. And I, I've had people message me since then telling me about how. Their CBD use has helped with X, Y, and Z. And yeah, their depression. And things Even like just that. something as simple as sleep. Like I'll exactly. use it for sleep sometimes if yeah. I'm like really needing a good solid sleep. Mm-hmm. Like I'll take an edible or like exactly. smoke a little bit, and I have like the best sleep ever. I'm out like a light. Yeah. <laughs> And it's funny, I really actually enjoyed... So for those of you listening, also, I was involved with the styling aspect of this collection. That's why I'd asked her about it. Um, but so I really, I really like, connected with that. Because, like, I, I will use, like, very moderately. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not, like, an everyday user either. Yeah. But it's funny because... So it's been legal for in Canada for, what, over a year now? Yeah. And then it's legal in um, certain states as well. Like, it's... And, you know, so it's pretty much been... But it's still a thing that... Like, I was even just over the holidays talking with my family, and and, um, I can't remember the exact context, but we were talking about, like, oh, uh, somebody smoking weed or whatever, and we were using that terminology, and and then my dad was like, oh, no, like, well, we still can't, like, talk about it. I'm like, but it is a legal thing to do. That's, like, like being weird about saying, telling someone you had a glass of wine. Exactly. It's it's legal. And they're like, oh, well, no, because there's still such a stigma. And it's like, well, what the fuck? Like, it's legal, (laughs) so why are you, is anyone going to judge me? But they do. And even, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you heard about, like, the Elon Musk thing. He smoked weed on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. Oh. And because he felt like it, whatever. And it's yeah. legal in California, which is where it was recorded. Right. So he was doing absolutely no nothing wrong. And like all his investors like freaked out and like some backed out and whatever. And it's like, are you guys serious mm-hmm. right now? Like, that's like, like, what if he had had a beer? Would right. you have backed out? Like, it's, you know, so that, that's really cool that you did that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's like, I guess, just like anything time, maybe, hopefully. Exactly. Um, to break down the stigma. To, yeah. yeah. But what else, um, what else have you, what other collections have you sort of themed? Mm-hmm. Um, so a very prominent theme that did start um, with my first collection, but then kind of really hit the forefront of what I wanted, how I wanted to present myself in fashion um, was my concept around indigeneity and what it means to be indigenous right. in 2019, 2020. Um in, in this time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the first collection that I showed at uh, Toronto Fashion Week uh, earlier 2019. Um, and we casted an all-Indigenous showcase, so every model had um, Indigenous heritage. Really? That was one, the one that had, like, a lot of red in it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so didn't the know one that. that. At the Gardner Museum um, in February of 2019. Yes, I was at the, that yeah. one as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't realize that every single person, every single model had some Indigenous. In yeah, so well. again, I reached out to agencies and I said, I'm looking to cast a entire runway show of models who identify as being Indigenous. So that could be from being Métis to being First Nation to being Inuit. Um, or it could be 
not that it was the case for this show, uh, but it could have been, oh, I identify as being um, Australian Aboriginal. That's, I didn't specify to being Canadian. Right. Um, so those, so I was able to cast I had 17 or 18 models for that showcase. Wow. Um, and then I just really wanted to present myself in this, present myself and present the Indigenous culture in such a way that make people think of what's beyond what what's possible for design for uh fashion designers today and indigenous fashion designers today and what they do and how they repre- represent themselves um yeah so all the models were indigenous um all the accessories used all the beadwork used was indigenous made um and then myself being indigenous uh as well as the concept um was the collection was entitled the 1876 collection, um, which is the date the Indian Act was put into place in Canada. Yeah. So what have you, I want, I'm curious to know in your sort of like journey, and I know you're just at the beginning still, what have you sort of like discovered about um, like what it means for you to be Indigenous? Mm-hmm. And, and what is the Indian Act as well? Can you tell me? Yeah. Um, so the Indian Act uh, was put into place by the Canadian government on how they were going to govern the Indigenous people of Canada. Um, so it was how they were going to be, it it was like a, pretty much it was a legal contract to say, how are we going to get rid of the indigenous indigeneity within indigenous people? That's pretty much what it was. Oh, so this is not a good thing. It wasn't a good thing at all. I'm thinking like, oh, they put it into place. It's in all the history books as a great way to track the way indigenous people, work with white with settler people um to to be happy together right um but if you kind of really get down into it everybody's given pretty much a tracking number which is your indian status number um and there's just in order to keep track of people and how many indigenous people there are and so it's a big scam it it seemed like that yeah, yeah. especially if you continue reading your I'm still kind of making coming to terms with with it, um, and then yes, it did have different variations as Canada grew, um, but it's not really not not a great thing. Okay. <laughs> um, so this was it. Pretty much defined what an Indian, quote unquote, Indian was, what an Indigenous person was. Um, so, as someone who was 24 at the time. Um, trying to figure out who one who I am in general, mm-hmm. and two, who I am as an indigenous person at this moment in time. Um, I really wanted to explore what being indigenous meant to me and what what my indigeneity indigeneity meant. Right. Um, so. Uh, yeah. And so, have, have sorry, have you discovered like? have you come to like I don't want to say any conclusions obviously it's not really like that simple but have you like what sort of things have have like have you I guess come across that have helped you learn more about yourself yeah um so while I was getting kind of these major press things as my career began um I would often get asked the question how does being indigenous influence your design Mm. and I was like well this collection's about mental health there's nothing really that has to do with my indigenous background in this collection why are you asking me about that ask me about mental health and and the stigma and let's break that down yeah stop asking me about in being indigenous yeah um 
so while putting this uh, it, uh, 1876 collection together, I realized that it's one and the same. Everything that I do is indigenous fashion because oh. I am indigenous. How does being indigenous influence my work? Because I am, because right. I do. So that's awesome. That's kind of what the realization came to after after putting that show together and and understanding how I'm seen by press and how I can respond with the best representation possible. Nice. Yeah. And what's um uh what like okay and this again this is horrendous that I don't know like the proper terminology but like what uh, like tribe is that what I ask? Tribe is more of an African term. Okay, <laughs> but but very widely What is used. the proper way to ask somebody like what like you know there's like Cree and this yeah. and that like what is the proper way first of all to ask somebody what do you know you don't know? I don't think so. I don't think so. So what would I ask like what is your like what is your background i don't okay it it would depend on how much the indigenous person wants to tell you pretty much right yeah okay because it would be like oh what strain of irish are you or something like that would that make sense yeah like because (laughs) that's a good example asking a white uh, well i would say like oh you're from ireland like what area yeah like if you ask me like okay my my family's british and scottish and then someone's like oh where in england i can tell you blackpool and yorkshire yeah like that's what i mean to ask like so so if if an indigenous person's asking me that they're pretty much just like where are you from right yeah and that's what i'm trying to ask you that that pretty much makes yeah Pretty much makes sense. Um, Yeah, so I am a member of Tamagami First Nation. Okay. um, Which is based out of, um, from Northern Ontario. Um, That's where my birth grandmother uh, was from. Um, And I also have ties to Akwesasne Mohawk Reservation um, uh, because of my my birth grandfather. And what province is that in? Um, It's right on the corner of New York, Ontario, and Quebec. Oh, okay. Nice. Mm-hmm. interesting yes that's what i was wondering but i'm like i don't know how to even ask like I, I again like yeah not tribe but like i guess like what you could say what band are you if they're first okay Nation. okay um yeah so it's your registered band number okay um, which is what what's on your indian status card so that that could be okay a way to ask see i okay i could be wrong but i think that, like that like even teaching that is important because then that encourages people to ask learn and then it, like by default understand mm-hmm. like i think um and i think like when there's understanding then there's like inclusivity and then it just gets better from there so i think that would start mostly from education to to the to younger people yeah like of exactly Um, so i um so i i find it really interesting that people don't know what treaty territory they're currently living on especially if they're a descendant of a settler that who is, is very not an in- indigenous person. Okay, so that's me. So yeah. I'm. That's very interesting to me as well because, like, obviously, I should know something like this. Yeah. So it's it's, but it, it's a general thing. So Toronto is based in the Dish with One Spoon Treaty territory, which is a treaty between the um, Anishinaabe and Mohawk people, where um, they came to an agreement that we weren't going to hunt more than what you need. So you, oh, there's dishes. one, okay, there's that one makes dish, sense. you take one spoon and take what you need, but don't take all of it. So it's not, so there's enough for everyone. The we won't fuck you up. You yeah. won't fuck us up. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. And that's where we live in Toronto. And that's what, where Toronto is. Yeah. See, that's so interesting too. Like I didn't know that yeah. at all. And I've been living here my whole life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, 
it's just a fun thing to learn and yeah and then you you get a story like that exactly and now I kind of feel like you know it is that's sort of part of like a little bit of my story as well since I'm currently living here Mm -hmm. so it's like you know um but that's amazing I'm gonna pass that on to like other people that live here next time I that next time that comes up um okay so I want to talk about your recent success with uh I know you've had like other award shows and like red carpet uh like accolades um but tell me what happened recently so it was the golden globes and take it away <laughs> yeah so i dressed uh laney from e-talk for the golden for her golden globes coverage um and she re- her stylist reached out to me um gosh like like two year two two uh two months ago now i'm losing my words <laughs> um about two months ago um to do a piece from one of our recent collections um, but being that it was the Golden Globes, they needed it more in a gown version. Um, and Lainey's been someone that I've always really respected with what she says, what she has to say. Um, so she was always someone that I really wanted to to dress and to work with. Um, so they reached out, um, and I was like, "Yes, absolutely, of course." <laughs> um, and then fast forward two months to yesterday, day before yesterday. Um, and yeah, it, it seemed to be a wow factor for sure. <laughs> it wasn't. She looked stunning. Yeah. Um, the dress was beautiful, and yeah, and she went and did like the coverage, right? At the Golden exactly. Globes, the so E-talk yeah, coverage. she covered it for eTalk. Um, and if you watch that that uh, coverage, it's actually really cool because Tiffany Haddish freaks out over the dress. Oh, nice. And a um, a guy from a Netflix show freaks out over it. And it's just really fun to see. Yeah, it's um, amazing. But then as that press was coming, as the, the photos of her on the red carpet was coming out, I realized that this is such a bigger impact than my normal red carpet dressing appearances. Um, given that it was an international, it's an indigenous made design on an international stage and what might that mean to another indigenous person watching or yeah. an indigenous youth watching and wanting to be a designer and being able to show what they could do. Right. And was there a story behind the dress at all? Um, it was just a, a piece um, that we featured within our uh, preface collection. So that collection was all inspired around healing. Um, so the bright okay. colors were very important to that dress. Nice. Yeah. And it got picked up by so much media, I feel like, yeah. too. Like, I was flipping through your story, your Instagram story, like, maybe, I don't, like I think the day of the Golden Globes or maybe the day yeah. after. And I was like, Jesus, it keeps on going. It keeps on going. So, like, uh, tell me about some of the people that uh, picked it up. Um, yeah. So, obviously, eTalk and then CTV coverage. Um, so, the social picked it up. And and uh, they asked for a quote from me um, about what it meant. And it was really... To have so many media outlets pick up an indigenous design on an international stage to me is, is a step towards reconciliation and showing what authentic authentic indigenous fashion could be. Um, so I'm so honored that so many people are asking me about about the dress and I, I love that that I'm able to represent what modern indigenous fashion is. Amazing. Um, yeah, and then even uh, APTN, which is the... Uh, Aboriginal People's uh, TV network um, oh. picked it up and interviewed me for it. Um, nice. And then CBC Indigenous uh, talked to me today. Um, oh my god! So it's been it's been very very hectic, um, but but really incredible to be able to show that representation and and know that I'm I'm moving the industry forward. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I was so like proud of you. Uh, t- um, t- a to obviously see like I rec- I knew it's funny you're starting to I think develop even though your collections are very diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, I still saw it and like as soon as I heard your name and I was like oh yeah that is totally Leslie dress like yeah. you have like a bit of a brand through your mm-hmm. clothing now you know what I mean? it's really is, like interesting to see I exactly. was so happy for you um okay and so I'm gonna let you go soon but I just want to know uh do you have anything exciting coming up like this year that's already planned that you can tell me about or um so I am currently putting together my collection for Indigenous Fashion Week Toronto Okay, which nice. is happening um, the last week of May. Excellent. Um, and that collection is going to be really exciting because it'll be the first time I'm taking a longer amount of time to put a collection together. Um, I think I'm giving myself five months and I usually give myself like two. Okay. Um, so all that time, all that research um, and that collection in itself is inspired around words and and how they can be positive or negative or uplifting or hurtful. Mm. Um, so through the next five months or, well, next five months onward, I'm, uh, actually doing, uh, Anishinaabe Moan classes, which is the Ojibwe language. Oh. Yeah. So I'm learning, I'm, my class is like two days or something. Um, so I'm going to be learning my original language. That's so cool. Yeah. That's amazing. Sorry. Yeah. And that just take that. And use that in a positive way within within the collection, um, as well as sh- shed some light on the the way words can be used negatively. Interesting um, through cyberbullying and things like that. Interesting that yeah. like I could I wasn't even like I don't know what it is. you have such a talent for like like I said storytelling earlier mm-hmm. like that's such um uh like a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it it was kind of inspired or like. It was initially inspired around, it was going to be a happy collection and me rediscovering my language. Um, but then through uh, a certain response to a press story that I did a few months ago, um, I ended up getting, I was just speaking on the fact that um, something was reinforcing old indigenous stereotypes and I wasn't for that and look how great indigenous people are in modern day times. That's that's pretty much what my press comment was to a particular story. Can you tell us what the story was about? Um, it was about a particular fragrance that used um, indigenous um, visuals to sell their product. Okay. And they were very, they weren't as respectful as they could have been putting that together. And if you just pretty much Google that, you'll figure out Okay. What brand I'm talking about because I don't want to be negative to the brand. I don't want to right. talk anyone else down. And yes. Um, but we'll all go Google this. Yeah, but that was, that was the storyline. <laughs> and so how did you get the, So how did you become. So there was a brand that did that. So there then, was a brand that did that. And um, then how did you. As come, an indigenous designer, a uh, CBC News came to me. CBC, uh, okay. the national came to me. Um, wanted my thoughts so on how it. did you feel? Yeah. yeah okay. How did you feel on this? Like they're using indigenous visuals. Um, and I just said, while they're reinforcing old stereotypes, that's not really who we are. And like, that's not really ever who we were. Right. But Um, certainly not now. But certainly not now. And it's, it's demeaning to us as, as this incredible society of modern day people who are doing incredible things. Mm -hmm. And we're not just some wild, savage woman in the bush. Right. Um, 
So that's pretty much all I said. I it was very short, um, and then I ended up getting a succession of emails from an individual who pretty much wanted me to put wanted to put me in my place and said no, like. There's certain quotes that I'll be using in the collection, um, but some of them is like are like um, like oh you're a fashion designer so you're doing like a white man's job um, so like how dare you say that aren't we all like every like, job was a white man's job at one but, point but no because indigenous indigenous people are the first people oh so right, we right, would have right. been the first fashion designer yeah exactly literally yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so I find that really interesting um, and then after the comments and the and the big uproar of of this press thing um they ended up removing the indigenous aspect of the advertisement of the perfume that i'm discussing um so was it canadian perfume or international international um so i ended up this was so this one email sorry really quickly did you explain to them like how it was demeaning or were you guys just kind of like at each other's throat <laughs> no 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 i didn't respond to this person oh you didn't respond no okay they um, just said in the in the press story they showed the ad and then i just said it's reinforcing old stereotypes right but then i'm talking about these emails that yeah, came so to this you. email so that's all the person saw was my two second response okay okay and then i received one email that night saying like no, you're, you think you're you wrong, are kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> and then they removed the indigenous aspect from that ad, but then still oh. played the ad on TV. Um, so a month later, I got a email from the same person saying you killed the natives on that advertisement. Oh my god! You're the reason they are no longer being chosen for this incredible cinematic opportunity. It's all your fault. How dare you! Holy shit. Sorry. Do we know, can we, um, this person that was emailing you, do we know what their ethnicity is? They declared themselves as Swiss American in the email. Okay. So like, I don't know if they're more on the Swiss side, more on the American side, but right. probably definitely not indigenous. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I was like, okay, that's oh weird. But like, God. I haven't commented on this thing since that one CBC Right. And that's like all context too. Like who knows, did they hear the question that they asked you or did they just hear, you know, it's so, it's such an interesting and touchy sort of like topic. Cause I think a lot of people are quick to be like, Oh, who gives a shit? But then when it's your own things, Mm -hmm. it's like, you don't know the backstory and the pain and the over, like the everything that is associated with something as so like seemingly so simple as like a picture, a symbol, a color, you know, but then um, like, I think again, the understanding or like, I wonder even if, if they, if this company just said like, I don't know how they would have like reached out, but maybe they would have said, Hey, we want to use these images. Like what's the most respectful way to do it. And like, can we include something that's going to honor? Like, I don't know. I feel like it would have been maybe more. So it was put out that this company used, um, did ask for certain consultations, um, with the indigenous community that they were working with. But the kind of red flag there is you can consult on a project all you want when that boss person, or lead creative director makes a decision, they could go against what yeah. you what you consulted. Are, exactly, yeah. exactly. There's no telling. Um, especially when an indigenous, an indigenous person is not on the on the executive executive, executive level. level. Yeah. yeah. And um, do you find that? And I don't know if you if you know any, uh, but do you find that American indigenous and Canadian indigenous um, sort of like values to be different? Um, I 
think the relationship is a little different between the settlers within Canada and the settlers within the U.S. I would agree um, with to, that. To their, their indigenous people. Um, but I, I don't think I know enough about to, how, okay. how the U.S. relationship is. Yeah. No, I just, because I, yeah, I was wondering, because I, I, if they were American, I'm assuming they would have contacted, the people that they were consulting mm. would have probably been American indigenous, the, I'm assuming. Yeah. And I just, I think to myself, like, may, yeah, exactly. I don't know anything either, so I was wondering, may have uh, just been different, probably different than the way that we would have possibly done it here. Again, mm-hmm. I don't know, but... Um, interesting. Yeah, yeah I'm so, going to be googling that immediately. <laughs> yeah, so that, that collection is is going to be using those negative words that I received in this email and like and that, reinterpreting them in a beautiful, positive way. And like that is the coolest idea. Like yeah. I just love that you're doing that. And like it's so cool that you get to like take your personal because it's personal experiences too. But like there's going to be thousands of people that relate to it and yeah. have been through a similar thing. Well, absolutely, and specifically within the indigenous community. Yeah. So they're. Um, lateral violence and cyberbullying is something huge that indigenous people especially indigenous people who put themselves out there yes. um, experience and we have a higher rate of suicide than other people right um so that's definitely been something uh that's affected me personally um with a um individual who took their lives uh recently named uh kelly frazier um so i got to meet her uh through um working a day uh, at dragon's den with cheekbone beauty and she was the other model um, that worked that event. Um, and she was so uplifting and so incredible, um, an Inuit pop singer. Um, and she just experienced so much lateral violence that it was just too much for her. Oh, that's horrible. So it's definitely something that's still current day. Yeah. And needs to be talked about and a lot of experiences that are happening. Like, I myself as a brand, I don't think I say anything too negatively. And yet I'm still receiving these emails. So could you imagine someone who's a bit more outspoken than I am? Yeah. What did they receive and how was that experience? And she was a lot more outspoken, you're saying? Yeah, she was just a lot more kind of bubbly and loud in comparison to someone like me. And sorry, when you say lateral violence, you mean like just from her peer, like laterals across, right? It could be like her peers or just cyberbullying in general. Okay. Yeah. So just just that whole aspect and and how that's how indigenous people are experiencing that and attempting to move forward right yeah right so all those aspects i'm very sorry to hear that yeah it's okay um but also kudos to you for taking all those experiences and mm-hmm. putting them in i I, would lo- I can't wait to see online the yeah this new collection it'll be it'll be exciting for sure amazing um okay so before i let you go tell me about your favorite footwear that you brought today yeah so i brought my manitoba mucklucks um, which is a metis owned canadian um indigenous company um based out of winnipeg manitoba um and i was lucky enough to become one of their um, warmth warmth ambassadors in the past few months um so I can say that they make the warmest, most comfortable winter boot. <laughs> um, and it was just an exciting uh, team to be a part of outside of my traditionally high fashion world. Um, their work is a lot more retail, a lot more focused on different aspects than my brand is. Um, so it was nice to learn what they've done as a successful indigenous brand. Yeah. Um, and kind of take that back and figure out how I can grow. 
to- that's exactly well. what I was thinking even before I'm like what a good collaborator and like somebody to even just get ideas from and mm-hmm. stuff too that's yeah. awesome congrats um and what's one piece of advice you'd give to somebody walking a similar path to yours oh wow um I would say don't be afraid to say no um because that's something I am only learning now um, <laughs> and you don't want to take on too much to get overwhelmed but then don't miss out on opportunities um, because you're trying to attack the wrong one trying to oh. confront the wrong one so yeah don't cool. be afraid but full steam ahead <laughs> cool yeah yeah find that uh, wonderful balance exactly <laughs> Okay, amazing. Well, thank you so much, uh, Leslie, for coming on. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for having me. Um, (laughs) That's it for this episode, you guys. Uh, So you can follow Leslie on Instagram at Leslie underscore Hampton. So that's L-E-S-L-E-Y underscore uh, Hampton spelt the regular way. Um, Of course, you can follow the podcast at Coming Up In My Sneakers. And if you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts and you like my podcast, if you want to give it a five-star review, that would be amazing. Um, That's it. I'll talk to you guys next week and don't get caught wearing dirty sneakers. 